Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, may your words fill our hearts and your spirit guide us as we reflect on your message for each of us today. Amen. Focusing on the better part. Has anyone here seen the movie City Slickers? Oh, good, all right. So City Slickers is a movie that came out in 1991. It was about a 39-year-old man named Mitch, played by Billy Crystal, who was a big city radio ad salesman. He had gotten into a rut in life and was convinced by his wife and his friends to take a vacation where he could find himself. Eventually, he and his three best friends decided to sign up to participate in a cattle drive. He moved a herd from New Mexico to Colorado. And once they arrived in New Mexico, they meet up with the real cowboys who will lead them on this trip, including one very tough cowboy named Curly, played by Jack Palance. He is clearly not a fan of those city slickers. Mitch is thoroughly intimidated by Curly, which Curly seems to enjoy. But they form a tight bond born out of the difficulties and trials that they successfully navigate over their trip. And in one scene, at one point in the story, where Mitch had started to become a little less intimidated by Curly, and Curly started to appreciate Mitch as a person worthy of engagement, the old cowboy offers a valuable lesson to Mitch. Curly asked Mitch, do you know what the secret to life is? And as he raised his hand, he had his index finger pointing up, and of course, sarcastically, Mitch replies, your finger? Ignoring the sarcasm, Curly replies, just one thing. Mitch, suddenly becoming serious, asks, what's that one thing? To which Curly answers, this is for you to figure out. And this seems to be what Mary was trying to figure out in our gospel passage this morning that we read just a moment ago. In the gospel of Luke, we read that Jesus had entered the village where Martha lived, and he went to her house. Luke goes on to tell us that she had a sister named Mary, but that's all that we learn from this family in Luke. However, in the Gospel of John, we learn that Martha and Mary had a sister named Mary. They also had a brother named Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Interestingly, John places the greater emphasis on Mary, beginning in chapter 11 with the words, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. We don't know who was the oldest or the youngest of the three, but we sense that they all had a deep connection to Jesus. In the story of Lazarus, told by John, Jesus expressed deep, deep sadness when he learned that Lazarus had died from an illness, and Jesus went to Bethany and raised him from the dead. Earlier in Luke, in chapter 7, we read of a woman who approached Jesus while he was having a meal with the Pharisee. And in this passage, it says, quote, A woman in the city who was a sinner, having learned that Jesus was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair, kissing his feet and anointing them. With the ointment. The Gospel of John 
claims this woman was Mary. Martha, Mary, and Lazarus were all apparently well known to Jesus, and he had a very strong influence on their family. In chapter 10 of Luke, which we just read, Jesus was visiting the home of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, and was apparently giving a lesson to others in that home when Martha asked him to rebuke her sister for not helping her serve their guests. Asking what she apparently thought was a rhetorical question, she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Also, she expected, of course, Jesus to send Mary away from the crowd while, where she was listening. But of course, he would care, she would think, and he would not, he would, he just didn't notice. Once she pointed out this situation, Mary figured that Jesus would certainly send Mary away to help her serve the guests. But Jesus declined, saying, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. This must have been rather shocking to Martha. Not only did Jesus already notice that Mary wasn't helping her, he made the declarative statement that her time with him will not be taken away. We can learn a lot from this scenario and from Jesus' response. Perhaps it would be helpful to use our United Methodist approach of discernment, the Wesleyan quadrilateral, to reflect on this passage and consider some other conclusions that others have drawn as well. In the Wesleyan quadrilateral, as you may remember, we consider scripture, reason, tradition, and experience to discern our own conclusions and to test the conclusions that others might have presented to us. For example, some have suggested this passage shows that Christ prefers us to live a life of contemplation over social action. However, this may not necessarily be true under every circumstance. There are times when contemplation is preferable, but there are other times when we are called to action. Experience and reason teaches us that there is a balance between contemplation and action, and scripture and tradition reinforce this understanding with the teaching that faith without works is worthless. Although there may be contexts when contemplation is preferable, there are other times when we should get up get to work. Another lesson often gleaned from this passage is a recognition that our social systems sometimes unfairly exclude certain people from full participation in ministry. In the first century patriar patriarchal culture, Mary would not have been expected to have the same opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus as the other men of her time. That's not how Jesus lived or taught. He offered up himself for all of us, regardless of our gender, or our race, or our cultural background. This inclusion is supported by scripture, reason, tradition, and experience. Scripture tells us that Jesus often ate with the sinners and the those who are the outcasts of society. Our United Methodist tradition teaches us to encourage an open and inclusive approach to all our ministries. And our reason and experiences today have reinforced the understanding that it's important 
for all of us to have the opportunity to share each of our unique gifts and ministry with the larger body of Christ. Indeed, Christ modeled an approach of an inclusion rather than exclusion. And this passage supports an attitude of encouragement for those who have been routinely excluded from ministry. There's also other conclusions which we can derive on our own based on our own experiences. A few weeks ago, we considered the virtues of simplicity. And this appears in our passage today. In particular, Jesus tells Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Only one thing is needed. What is it? Well, apparently we have to figure that out. And Jesus didn't explicitly explain it to Martha in that moment, but he suggested that Mary was on the right path. He said, Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken from her. Which implies that in this particular moment, that particular context, Mary's option of sitting with Jesus and listening to that message was better than fulfilling the cultural expectations of doing the busy tasks that Martha was involved in. Perhaps he was even suggesting that to Martha that it would be in her best interest in that moment to sit and listen as well. Knowing the impact that Jesus had on Mary, inspiring her to wash his feet with her tears and dry them with her hair, it's clear that she learned something from him. She's learned more from listening to Christ than placating others by trying to fit the social and cultural norms of her time. Mary seemed to have a much better understanding of what that one thing is that we all need. Scripture is filled with hints of what that one thing is. In passages that we read, like the one this morning from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Colossians, we see his perspective of what that one thing is for him. He explained his understanding of Christ as the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation. Paul understood his role as a minister to make the Word of God fully known, which he considered to be a mystery that had been hidden throughout the ages. He considered this, this mystery priceless, worth more than any glory or any other form of gratification that one could possibly imagine. And the mystery that Paul proclaimed was Christ in you. This is the one thing that we all need. A relationship with Christ who dwells in us. Over and over in Scripture, we're invited to, to follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit that leads us into a greater relationship with Christ, who can offer us salvation and show us how to live a fulfilling life. So I encourage you today to reflect on your relationship with Christ. Spend your time focusing on the better part that builds upon that relationship. Your unique circumstances may motivate you to take different steps towards discovering Christ in your own unique way in your life. But the vision of being with Christ and living in the kingdom of God may be a good way of describing that one thing that we all need.